0: I don't know if four years feels like a long time to you. I, you know, Looking back, for a lot of our church, four years ago, uh, half of us, it feels like we're in our teens. And so a lot of life happens in four years. But four years is really this significant moment in a church's life because most churches that get started don't make it to four years. Right. Most churches that get started, just, just it's hard to keep going and there's the spiritual forces against you. And then it just in general is challenging. And so the Lord has sustained us this point. So we just give him praise. So can we just praise God for four years as a church? I was thinking back, four years is interesting, you know, like, it's, four years is not one of those birthdays you get excited about when a kid turns four, and I'm at this place where I'm far enough away from, like, having siblings who were four, and I don't have any kids of my own yet, that I'm not sure, like, really, honestly, the developmental difference between a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, like, I know it's different, right, but I couldn't tell you, so I looked it up, I went to the CDC's website, and I looked up developmental milestones for a four-year-old, and I just thought it kind of interesting, because we're four years old as a church, so are we hitting these milestones <laughs> or, or not, and it this doesn't Perfectly, But just think about yourself in light of this, so a four-year-old should be able to catch a large ball thrown to them, at least some of the time. Now some of you are still like, developmentally, (laughs) you're like a two-year-old, that's okay, you're welcome here, it's a church for all ages. Uh, So we should be able to catch a ball, whatever the spiritual equivalent of that is. I love this one, a four-year-old should be able to tell you at least one thing about his day. And some of you ladies are thinking, my husband or boyfriend is still not at that level where he can tell me anything that's happened this day. Can I get amen, ladies? Uh, by the time by the time you're four, you should be able to draw a picture of a person with at least three body parts, which seems really specific. And I was trying to think, what three body parts would you include? Like a leg. And then another leg, and then one arm. or like I, I don't know what that means, but that's the thing. And then the final thing is, four-year-olds are at the developmental stage where they understand, like, I th- shouldn't throw myself off of this tall thing because it might hurt me. So like they've, they've learned a little bit of self-preservation. And so thinking in terms of our church, I'm like, okay, have we learned a little bit of self-preservation? Can we communicate a little bit? I think we're starting to get there. What I'm really excited about, though, is what God's going to do in the years ahead. Because for a four, you never look at a four-year-old and think, like, man, he's tapped out, like, he's peaked, good for him, he lived a good life, It's the rest of us going to be downhill from there, you know, that's, that's not what you think with a four-year-old, you think is, wow, he's made it to this point, look what he can do, look what he can say, look what she's able to draw, look, there's four body parts on that picture of a human, like, you're so excited, because you know that reflects something that's going to come in the future. And so I want to talk today about where God has brought us, where he's going to lead us, and why we're doing what we're doing. A lot of you have have been coming for a while. In fact, I want to do a quick show of hands. Who here was there on the very first Sunday? Hands up. Uh, Okay, so not a ton of people. Who here came while we were still at table 100? Okay, more people. Who here came to Foundry in this building but pre-COVID? All right, Moran, who's come since, since COVID happened? Who's Okay, so wow, look at that. So this is what we've seen, actually, in our church since COVID hit. We've had about a 50% or more turnover uh, of people. And so welcome, all you newbies, uh, your two, two-year-old newbies. We're, we're at the developmental stage of a four-year-old, but you might just be at the developmental stage of a two-year-old. But that's okay. Again, you're welcome here. Uh, Foundry got started back in 2018 was our official launch, but kind of the idea for it and the movement for it started in 2017. The Lord had put it on my heart actually as a 16-year-old to plant a church. And I didn't know for sure where that was or what that looked like, but he had put it on my heart. And so as I was getting towards the end of my education, I began to pray about where that would be. And the Lord led me back here. And he led me uh, to Dayspring Community Church, which is our mother church. We would not exist today if it weren't for them. And the original launch team, the original portion of the launch team, actually came from Dayspring Community Church and came, decided to start. And when we started, we had this vision where we wanted to be a church that was designed for unchurched people. And then was driven by discipleship. We didn't want to be a church that was just there to welcome people, make them feel good, but not help them become more like Jesus. We wanted to be a church that welcomed everybody in and made sure everyone knew they were welcome here. But we, we pulled them deeper into a relationship with God. That's, that's why we started. That was the whole vision behind what we did. And, and we had this phrase that we would say, "Is we'll do anything short of sin to lead people to live in love like Jesus. That's a big statement suddenly. You're like, okay, what, what, would, I, what would I actually do uh, to lead someone, if, if it could lead someone to live in love like Jesus? But we believed it. We, anything short of sin, we were absolutely focused on this. We wanted to be a church designed for unchurched people and driven by discipleship. Now, as we were getting ready to launch, I actually had a church leader, pretty uh, high up church leader, tell me, you shouldn't launch a church. He said, you're too young and the church you're going to launch probably won't work. He was not trying to be discouraging. He was being realistic. So I was 24, and I was—now, we, we had some couples in their 40s. Thank y'all. The two couples today, thank y'all uh, very much. But pretty much everybody else, just about everybody else who was part of that launch team, was in their 20s or their late teens. And so I was 24, and I was, I was one of the older people at 24. And you know what? That, that church leader was right, except for the power of God at work through us. It says in 1 Corinthians, God doesn't choose what's powerful, he chooses what's weak. And God uses what's weak and insignificant to bring to nothing things that are powerful. He uses the weak and insignificant to bring uh, spiritual forces down in a community. He uses what's weak and insignificant to lead people to himself. And God did that through us. Like, humanly, we shouldn't exist right now. Humanly, we are nothing, but by the power and the grace of God, he has made us something together. Early on we started meeting before we launched we started meeting in living rooms and we'd gather everybody together there'd be 15 to 20 of us i don't think we ever got more than 20 together at a time on our launch team and we would gather together and we would spend time together i remember very early on we decided instead of just meeting like this we're going to meet like this and start groups at the same time and this was the first big this first big discussion we had as a church that almost split the church not really but almost should we start 3 groups at the beginning or start 4 groups and we decided to take a bold step of faith to start four groups at the same time. Just like, we're going to step out, we're going to trust God here, let's just do it. And what that, what that instilled in us early on is two things. One, this belief that God wants to multiply and grow his church. But the other thing it instilled in us is this deep sense of community. From the very beginning, we were a community of communities, The number one thing people say to me when they come in and they visit Foundry and they experience it is, wow, the church is so welcoming. The the church feels like such a community. And there's there's a reason for that. Because we chose early on that we didn't want to just be a church where people gathered together and didn't know each other. We wanted to be a church where we knew each other, we loved each other, we were involved in each other's lives. That we were a true body, a true community. And that was decided really early on we were gonna do that. So we're meeting in homes, meeting in our four groups. And it worked. We, the four groups kept going. It was it was that step of faith. The Lord blessed that. And then we got to this point where it's time to start doing preview services. So we did a couple preview services leading up to our April first, 2018 launch. So once a month preview services. And, and the first preview service we decided to do it a couple of weeks before we started. We're like, hey, let's let's just let's a couple like th- three weeks from now, let's do a preview service. We had nothing together. We we didn't know much. Uh, I think a lot of people in the launch team felt like there was a plan. There was not a plan (laughs) at any step. What was happening is I was reading books as we went, and I would read something in a book and think, that sounds like a good idea, we should try that. And so the launch, launch, like the preview day idea, I read in a book, and then the next day I went to the team and said, let's try this. That was the plan, the strategy was, Let's, let's do something and see what works. And so we, we did these preview days and we started inviting. And, and from the early on in Foundry's existence, inviting has been part of our culture, inviting other people to this community. And it got weird, y'all, leading up to the launch Sunday, people would do weird stuff. Like uh, right before the launch Sunday was the March Madness in 2018, right? The, the NCAA men's basketball tournament. So I filled out a bracket and I named my bracket the name of our website just on the outside chance that I would have the perfect bracket for the first time in history. And then <laughs> every news report would have to write the name of our website so we'd get more traffic to the website. Right? That's the kind of lack of strategic thinking we had at this stage. I remember early on, right before we launched, uh, one of our guys who was part of the launch team got pulled over. He was speeding or something. Let's, let's hope it was just speeding. Something was going on. He got pulled over and he actually invited the cop to church after he got his ticket. <laughs> And I don't think it was a way to get out of the ticket, I think it was just a genuine like, we need warm bodies to show up on launch Sunday, would you please come? Ahead of launch Sunday, we sent out 14,000 mailers to the surrounding area. And not only that, but we wrote 1,100 handwritten notes addressed, and this is kind of creepy, we got the names of where people lived, and we addressed them to people who live, like real people. So, so we actually had one family show up on launch Sunday just to figure out, how did you know our name? That was the first question, I talked to the husband, he's like, uh, who's, who's this lady named Sonia? Because my wife got a letter from her, and, and I don't know who this is. And I was like, oh yeah, we don't know who you are either, but we got your name off a list. <laughs> and it's great, because people, people were just weirded out and came by it, and we did all this stuff, and it really didn't work, honestly. Launch Sunday got, got there, and it was okay. But we were shooting for a big launch Sunday, and it was not that big. And I think what it began to teach us was a lesson we had to learn across months and months and months, and is this, that mass mailings and advertising and strategy is not how the kingdom of God grows. It grows by the power of God at work through normal human relationships. Almost every single person who has gotten involved at Foundry has gotten involved because of a relationship with someone who invited them in. And this is how Jesus worked. It's how the kingdom of God works. And so so we have just committed ourselves to that strategy of people, loving people, and bringing them into the kingdom of God. So we're a church designed for unchurched people and driven by discipleship. But all that centers around relationships. This is why thinking about Easter, right? Thinking ahead to Easter. Like we're we're saying, hey, invite people. Because we know if you invite people, they'll come. If we do, we could do a huge advertising campaign. It wouldn't make a difference. But if you invite someone, as you invite people into a relationship with Jesus, as you invite people into the church, then that's when people will respond and God will do something amazing. After we launched, uh, we had issues with where we were meeting. We launched in Table 100. And part of the problem with Table 100, we had nowhere else to meet, we couldn't find anywhere else in all of Flowwood to meet. Part of the problem with Table 100 is they kept scheduling people on top of us. And not really, but like they would have people schedule a year or two in advance, and we're just like you know, scheduling six months ahead. And so literally the third Sunday after we launched, someone else had our space. So we threw a celebration service in the park. If, if we ever did, if you were here early on at Table 100 and we did something different, not at Table 100, and it was a celebration, like we did a baptism celebration one time, it's because we got kicked out of our building, right? <laughs> one time we did a special brunch at a CrossFit gym. Why did we do that? Because we got kicked out of our building. We don't believe in CrossFit. We don't believe in brunch at CrossFit. We just got kicked out of our building, right? That's what we did. So, third Sunday after we launched, we go out and we have our celebration service, which is the worst thing. Like, you're trying to get consistency in there. And, and so we go out, but at least it's April and so it's beautiful, right? No, it was was freezing that day. Like literally it was 40 degrees and we're outside in the park shivering and there's like 12 of us. And it's probably like 40 of us. And you think this is not going well. <laughs> like whatever God was going to do, I think we just squashed the spirit right here. Like we just dampened it. We quenched it. It's over, but God sustained us. About twelve months in, about eight months in after we launched, we started looking for what our next place was because table one hundred we love them good food they weren 't working out for us because they kept scheduling people on top of us. I think there was a dental society one day, and like i 've never hated dentists as much as that day <laughs> when the dentist kicked us out of table one hundred, so we started looking around, we got a hotel, conference center, they let us be there, and then they cancel on us because we were at church and we couldn 't find anywhere to go and then finally, we looked at this space. we actually looked at it before um, I hated this space. Uh, you can't imagine how bad it looked before we moved in. Um, it, looks, it looks pretty good now, but it was terrible then. And we'd come in and look and say, I don't think we can do this. And so we had, a, we had a leadership team meeting about it. And we discussed it. And we put it to a vote. And I was strongly against moving here. I just did not think it would be good. And I think there were eight people voting. And the vote, we said, okay, all in favor of moving in to this location and spending time renovating it. And there were six people that voted Yes. Which means it passed. And I wasn't one of the people. And all, in, all against, raise your hand. And one guy raised his hand, and I just abstained. Because, you know, when you're the leader, you don't want to be like, I think y'all are idiots. Which I did, to be honest. And so we, we spent the next six months renovating this place. Which, honestly, you, you probably don't know this from the outside. Just about put us under financially and otherwise. Um, renovating this place. But, but it's up and running. and That taught me an important lesson. About foundry. It's that God, God's not leading me to lead this church. God's leading us to lead his church and this this is what I love about found if you've been here very long you know this this is not a pastor centric church this is not a church where the pastor's doing everything a lot of churches the pastoral staff does everything this is a church where the people of God have been mobilized to serve him inside the church and outside the church every Saturday night we have a celebrate recovery that meets here I love this. It started, it started this past December, I think. I didn't know anything about it starting until three weeks before when someone said, hey, can we pray for our Celebrate Recovery starting? And I said, what? <laughs> you know, like any, any sort of thought of like, I'm leading this church was out the window at that point. Right? It's like, what else are we starting? Right? Like, what else are we doing in this church? I don't know about throughout the week. And I love it. That, that, whole, that whole ministry, Celebrate Recovery, has got up and going with, without any involvement from me, right? Which makes sense, because we are the people of God mobilized for the work of God in this world. This is how the church works. This is how, when I tell people, people are always surprised about two things about Foundry. One is demographically how young we are. We have a lot of younger people in their thir- 20s and 30s. And then they're also surprised by the fact that we're all volunteer-led. They, they think that's, that's impossible. They, they, people can't fathom this. And the reason we're able to be all volunteer-led is because the people of God here, that's you, that's me, we are stepping up and using our gifts to serve this church and serve this world. Uh, Most Sundays we have people going, you don't know, this is a pretty new thing, we have people going out from this church to lead worship and minister out at the Hines County Penal Farm. And they're going out there helping helping to lead worship, helping to minister out there. This is the people of God stepping up and using their gifts to serve others. That's what God's doing at Foundry. It's something different. It's something unique. God's doing something different. So we're designed for unchurched people. We're driven by discipleship. Our mission statement here is that we lead people to live in love. Like Jesus. Oh, that's so good. That's good. I just love that. We, we lead people to live in love like Jesus. That's, that's why we exist. It's what we do. And I want to spend the next couple minutes today talking from the Bible about why we've centered ourselves so strongly on focusing on Jesus and on living and loving like him. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians. It's a letter Paul wrote. We'll be in Colossians chapter 1. These verses are some of my favorite in all of Scripture. They're the verses I say whenever in my life I'm facing spiritual attack or temptation. Almost invariably, I find myself quoting these verses. Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20. It's all about Jesus. And here's why our mission statement is that we lead people to live in love like Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 starts off like this. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now here's something right off the bat we've got to grab hold of. That Jesus makes concrete, he makes visible to us who God is. If you're ever confused about who God is, you're ever questioning, does God love? You're ever questioning, does God care about me? Look at Jesus. Jesus makes visible for us what the reality of who God is. is. Now, at the same time, it says he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, this is confusing because right, Jesus is God, right? But he is 100% human as well. And so he's the firstborn. What firstborn means here is that he, he has this place of honor, this place he's first and foremost among all of creation. But He's created. Which can lead to some really bad theology if you focus on the fact that Jesus is created and don't realize what it says next. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Now this is confusing. Uh, this is confusing c- because Jesus was created, and yet in Jesus all things were created. This, this, is, this is one of those things that you just have to accept because Jesus is the author of life, it says in Acts chapter 3. He is the creator, but he was also created. In other words, 100% God, 100% human That's Jesus. He makes God visible and concrete to us. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all all things have been created through him and for him. So Paul zeroes in on both visible and invisible. he's He's saying this for a reason. A lot of Jewish people at this time actually believed that the angels were involved in creating. So God, along with the angels, created the world. And what Paul's saying here is that Jesus was the one who created all things. He created the angels. He created all spiritual forces, all spiritual powers. They were created through him, by his power, but they were also created for him, for his glory. That even means that Satan and evil spirits, the demons, they were created for the glory of Jesus. They were originally created good, and they have rebelled. But they were created and ultimately everything in heaven and on earth will lift up and honor Jesus, we're told. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is at the center of who we are as a church. Because Jesus is at the center of all creation. He is the God of all things. He is the creator of all things. And then we're told in the next verse. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There is this, this belief, not among the Jews, but among the Greeks, that Zeus was the one who held all things together. Or some more philosophical Greeks would say, well, it's not really Zeus. That's, that's kind of mythological maybe a little bit. But we believe in logos, which means reason. We believe this, this reason holds all things together. Maybe in our world today we could say science holds all things. Science is the key to understanding reality. And here, Paul's saying, no, Jesus holds all things together. The very fabric of the cosmos is held together by someone who was born from a human woman. Jesus, fully God, fully man, is the creator of all things, and in him all things hold together. What Paul's telling us in these first few verses is that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. And because of that, we should honor him and praise him and glorify him. Now that right there is enough reason to put Jesus at the center of your life. Jesus is at the center of this church because he is at the center of all of creation. But then Paul makes an interesting turn here. Not only is Jesus at the center of creation, but Jesus is at the center of the new creation. See, God's God's not content just to have created the world. Now, because the world is broken by sin, God wants to create something new in us. Jesus talks about being born again, right? This this reality that spiritually we need to be born again. We need to be renewed. And ultimately, this whole world will be, and God's going to do it through his church. So this is where Paul goes next. He says, not only is Jesus Lord of all creation, but verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. Head here means that Jesus has the authority, that Jesus is the source of his church, and this is why we at Foundry put Jesus at the center. We lead people to live in love like Jesus, because Jesus is the head, he is the authority. We listen to him, we obey him. This year we've rolled out the one year Bible. And there are journals and in that journal you have reading to read through the whole Bible and a way of, of journaling. I hate journaling honestly, but as I've, I've done this, the Lord has revealed his truth to me. And we do this, we wanna focus on the word of God because it's the word of Jesus and Jesus is our authority. So if you're, not, if you're not reading through the Bible regularly Grab one of the one-year Bibles, next steps area Grab one of those and start reading through Because if we're going to be the church of Jesus If Foundry's going to be the church of Jesus If you're going to put Jesus at the center of your life You've got to be in his word daily Because he's the authority He is the head of his body, the church Then it says next, he is the beginning He is the firstborn from among the dead Now beginning here just means he is the source He is the start But then firstborn from the dead is, is weird, right? Um, It's like it kind of gives you this zombie image of Jesus, which is not what it's going for at all. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, we've been told, because he has this place of honor. And he's the firstborn from the dead because he is the first one to be resurrected. Someday every single one of us will be resurrected from the dead. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus will be. This is weird. We'll talk about it a lot in the American church. But the Bible clearly teaches we'll be raised from the dead just like Jesus was. And so Jesus has this place of honor still because he is God, but he also is the first one to do it. He's gone before us to show us what we can't expect, what we can't anticipate. When Jesus rose from the dead on Easter, it was telling the rest of us we have hope that God's spirit will raise us from the dead as well. And so now Paul's focusing us in specifically on how Jesus is here for us. It says he's the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. If you're questioning whether or not is Jesus God, does the Bible teach Jesus is God? Right here is one of the many verses that tells you. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It was there because he was fully God and fully human. And through him, the verse 20 is so key for us, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven. In other words, Jesus brings all things together. He reconciles, makes peace by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And as Christians, as we look to Jesus, we see the sacrifice he paid. How he he made it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father through his sacrifice on the cross. How we now, as we trust in Jesus, can be sons and daughters of God. And because of that, we don't just worship and honor and praise Jesus as the Lord of all creation. But we give him now our affection and our love. We give him our allegiance because of what he has done for us personally. He's not a God who's far off. He's a God who's close. He is the God we worship, the God we love. Jesus is at the center of who we are as a church. And the reason we exist today is because of the grace of Jesus, so we can keep becoming His body who worships Him. Now, here's my question for you as we finish today Is Jesus at the center of your life? As a church, we put Jesus at the center. We, we've established that Jesus is at the center of our lives. But is Jesus at the center of your life personally? And, and here's, how, here's, how, here's the test. Is Jesus at the center of where you are most broken or where you're most comfortable? Because in order to make Jesus at the center, he has to be Lord of the place in your life where it's hardest to make him Lord. And it's so hard to make Jesus Lord of a broken area in your life. You want to wall that off and keep God out. And it's so hard to let Jesus be Lord of a place you're comfortable in because he wants you to follow him before you just do what feels good for yourself. And so here's my challenge to you. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Foundry's four years old. We've got 40 years ahead of us, 60, maybe 100 years ahead of us. We're going to keep going along. We're going to keep putting Jesus at the center. But will you keep putting Jesus at the center of your life? Are you going to put Jesus at the center of your money? Are you going to put Jesus at the center of your sex life? Are you going to put Jesus at the center of your family relationships that are broken? Are you going to put Jesus at the center of your identity, who you are, how you define yourself? Are you going to put him at the center of how you spend your life? Are you going to put him at the center of how you love others? Is Jesus the center of your life? I've just been giving God praise all week for what he's done at Foundry these last four years. But the reason I'm giving him praise is because of the lives I've seen him change. The people I now consider brothers who four years ago were not following Jesus. The people who are now sisters to me in Christ who four years ago were living in the deadness of their sin. I give God praise because he's the Lord of all creation. Jesus is the Lord of all creation, but I give him praise because he is Lord of the new creation and he's doing that through this church. And I've seen person after person who were broken and lost put Jesus at the center of their lives and it has transformed them and it will transform their family tree for generations. And here's my challenge to you. Put Jesus at the center of your life.